Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Box Recordings Podcast. On this episode, I talk with Colonel David Benson, United States Air Force, retired. During his service, Colonel Benson amassed over 27 years of professional experience to include eight years leading organizations ranging in size from 25 to 4,500 people. During his last years of service, Colonel Benson served as the base commander at Dias Air Force Base before retiring in 2017. In this interview, we discuss his leadership experience and how he approached decision-making at the organizational level while balancing his sense of self and family life. In addition, we discuss his transition to the airlines and his efforts to give back to the community. Enjoy. Well, I just want to say thanks again for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, I know. And then again, thanks for being flexible. Yeah. Um, I, so also, thank you for sending me your resume. I was looking through it. It's pretty impressive. There was quite a bit of stuff on there. The one thing that I was actually drawn to the most was uh, you look like you're an Air Force Academy 93 grad. Is that true? I am. <laughs> Well, it is. Why I, is that? <laughs> I, I'm a 2013 grad, so I just I had I, I noticed it, and oh, I was like, "Oh man, okay. like we're kind of linked here." But there's a 20 year gap, so I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that. So, <laughs> so you tell me I'm old. What you're telling me, Brian? Nah, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying <laughs> I I noticed it's fine. it. I am old. I there was all these impre- impressive accomplishments. Like, oh, he was a base commander, worked in PACAF, but then the one thing I zoned in on was. 93 grad. I was like, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, the main reason I asked you on here today was mostly just to talk about your experience in the last few yeah. years, um, being a base commander, working at Dias, and then the transition out to what you're doing now and then what you want to do in the future. Uh, if you don't mind just giving kind of a brief overview for who you are and your experience in the military. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, uh, hello, everybody out there. My name is David Benson. I've a retired uh, colonel from the Air Force. Uh, started in the military back in uh, 89 when I joined the academy, and I graduated in 1993 uh, from the academy. Um, went into the academy really not knowing what to expect. I really went to the academy because uh, I didn't want to pay for college. My parents were enlisted in the Air Force, and I didn't have a lot of money. So I would have paid or worked my way through any college I would have gone to except for the academy. So I went there kind of a, as the cheap way to get in. Um, didn't know what I was going to do. So while I was there, they asked for people to, to sign up to fly. So I, I'm like, whatever. I'll, it sounds cool. You know, Top Gun was big back then. Um, I'm like, I'll go fly. So I, I decided to go fly. And um, from there, I went pilot training, B1s a T-38 instructor at pilot training after that. And that's really where I developed my passion for what I think I'm the best at now, um, which is not really being a pilot. I'm a, probably a decent pilot, but more of a, a leader, a mentor, and a coach is when I was a T-38 instructor at Columbus. After that, I went to B-2s, um, where I was in the first ever B-2 weapons school class, uh, the inaugural class in the B-2s. Um, I then went back to teaching the B-2s at weapons school and become their commander after a few years. Uh, in the middle, went to school. I was the aide-de-camp to Commander Paycom, where I was out there in Hawaii. So I'm, I'm pretty jealous of where you are right now, Brian. And my wife, to this day, whenever we see Hawaii Five-0 on the TV, she cusses my name for taking her out of that place. So uh, she loved it, dude. Um, I, I went to go to – I've been in the Joint Staff, so I've been in the Pentagon – I've seen the politics of that. I worked from for four stars. 
I was a group commander in the B2, and then I went on to be the, uh, the base commander at Dias and the seventh bombing before I retired uh, back in 2017. That's a, a brief synopsis of my career. Okay, that's awesome. Lots of really good experience. Now, you mentioned that you felt you developed your true passion for leadership, mentoring, coaching during your uh, instructing assignment. And then yeah. there's a lot of different jobs between there and then command. Um, how did you seek out opportunities before you took command of your first squadron to develop further as a leader? Because it seems that there are paths in the military that focus on personal development, personal development before you actually get into a leadership role. So how did you keep that going? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to where I went to Whiteman, the T-38 was still there. So I was a T-38 instructor the entire time I was at Whiteman. So I didn't really start at the bottom of the totem pole. I did in the B-2, but on the side, I had the T-38 instructor experience continuing on as I developed my skills there. Um, I also uh, grabbed flight commander pretty quick. Uh, from there. Um, and although, to be honest with you, as a brand new flight commander, you really don't know what you're doing. You don't know what your purpose is in life. You're really just there making stuff up, trying to fill the squares, filling out OPRs. And I really didn't learn leadership to have a squadron commander. So I, I knew I liked to lead. I knew I was pretty decent at leading and instructing and teaching, but I didn't become a good leader until I was a squadron commander. And I would definitely you have a lot of experience as you with being yeah. a squadron commander and then I think, yeah. and then as well as a wing commander, which I would like to focus on the latter. What, yeah. when you took command of the wing, you had a lot of things to leverage off of, but what was your mentality when you moved into a wing commander or being a wing commander? Yeah. So over time I developed the idea. So let me, let me back up a little bit before I talk about that. Um, the difference between a leader and a person trying to lead is understanding what leadership really is. And for a long time, I've tried to really focus and define that. And I, I don't know why, but I always go back to a John Calipari quote. Do you know who John Calipari is? I don't. Okay, so he's the coach of the Kentucky Wildcat basketball team. Not a huge fan. I mean, I do watch NCAA basketball, March Madness. Yeah, yeah. But his quote is, leadership is helping people become their best. So when you're a, a brand new nascent leader, your really focus is on how do I get myself ahead? It's the way, it's the way it is. It's we were brought up in the military. So over time, that changes. As it matures, that changes to no longer how do I get myself ahead, but how do I get my subordinates, my peers, my organization ahead? So let's fast forward to the wing command. Wing command was awesome in my mind, because I was at that state. I had made the leap to that position of being a leader. And as a wing commander, I looked at that as an opportunity to help thousands of people. I was, I was chomping at the bit to go. You know, you, you asked one of your questions, and the thing was, was I nervous? Absolutely not. I wasn't nervous a bit, because I knew I had the opportunity to, to help thousands of people get to where they wanted to go and their families get to where they wanted to go in life. And because of that, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. I was excited. I was excited about that opportunity to do that. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, but it's still a very yeah. large, obviously a very large responsibility. How many people, when yeah. you were in your wing command position, were you accountable for? Yeah, so we had over 4,500 troops under my direct command. And then 
Uh, as you well know, we had the C-130 unit there as well, which is another 1,000 troops. So 5,500 people on the base, plus families. So that came out to, we estimated, about 12,000 people, plus retirees. If you think of the greater Abilene area where I, where I commanded, the greater Abilene area has a lot of retirees. So we were guessing about 20,000 people I had some sense of a responsibility for. Um, and if you think about it like that, it could be very... Um, uh, burdensome, really. You think about that, 20,000 people you're kind of responsible for. But the bottom line is, along the way, I had developed enough trust and faith and belief in myself to know I was going to give them my very best. Whether I did the good things or bad things, in my heart of hearts, I was going to give them my best. Okay, I was, gonna, was I going to make mistakes along the way? Absolutely, I was. But because I knew I was going to give them my best no matter what, I knew I could live with whatever the results were going to be. And because of that, I had a calmness in myself that just comes from being experienced at leading and understanding what you're doing and belief in yourself to know that it's not about me, it's about them. You know, people get nervous because they're worried about making mistakes, right? So my leadership philosophy is there's a point in time to where you just give in and say, it's no longer about me. And as soon as you do that, and you make it about them and about the organization, a lot of those things that make every leader anxious and nervous and worry that keep people up at night, they go away. They go away. And I, I think I, I, you probably asked the people at my, at my, my, my unit at the time, I, I, I was calm around people. I love being around people. I didn't mind answering the hard questions, telling the truth uh, because of that. You know, I, I'm an open book. I will tell you why I'm doing things because, again, if you look at it from their from the perspective that you're helping them, I want to give you every ounce of data I can so that you can make the best decision for yourself and your family. You know, and if I'm not doing that, that's where I fail. So I, I always try to do that along the way. Um, hope that answers your question. That absolutely kind of answers my question. No, yeah. I want you to to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, though, the mentality of switching. It's not about me. It's about them. What point yeah. in your career do you think that switch happened for you? Or was it oh, always man, I that had, way? No, no, no. So it, it was it, absolutely there was, a, there was a time. So I'm sitting as a squadron commander, okay? So I've, been, I've gotten pretty far along, 18 years in the military, right? And I've always been a very helpful person when it came to leading people. But I always kind of led them with the mentality of, I'm going to take you where I think you need to go, right? Most leaders kind of lead that way. You, everybody wants to be a squadron commander. Let me get you where you want to go. So I'm sitting there as a squadron commander and I, and uh, I, at the weapons school. So I got the best of the best underneath me, right? And I've got this IP coming in. I'm giving initial feedback. And uh, he comes in and I'm, hey, have a seat. All right, here's where you're going. And for 30 minutes, I, I, I defined his exact path of where he's going and how I'm going to get him there. And when I was done, I go, any questions? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there proud. I just gave this guy a great roadmap to his future. I'm all proud of where he's going. And I go, any questions? And he looked at me in the eye and he goes, hey, sir, that's all great. Um, but I talked to my wife and I'm going to get out after a year because I want to go be a lawyer. I'm going to go to law school. And I'm like, crap. I just wasted 30 minutes of your time telling you where I thought you wanted to go. And it has nothing to do with your future. And that's where I, I figured it out at that point in time. I've got to stop 
projecting my ideas of people's future on them. I've got to start drawing people's futures out of them and then helping them get where they want to go, if that makes sense. Uh, it's a vivid memory in my mind. You know, I was sitting there going, crap, I just wasted his time and I gave him no good data for 30 minutes. And to be honest with you, I had prepped for this for this briefing for an hour, not that it really my time, I could, whatever. So I probably wasted a couple hours of my own time prepping for this thing. Um, and I never did that again. You know, I always started from then on, whenever I had a direct subordinate reporting to me, the first questions I asked were always personal. It was always about who are you? Who are you married to? What's your family like? What are your personal goals and what are your professional goals? And what can I do to help you get there? And then from then on, that's what I did. I tried to help them get to where they wanted to go. Now, sometimes I, I don't think they challenged themselves enough. And we would have a discussion about, hey, you know what? I, you know, you capping yourself at, at this bachelor's degree when you can probably get a master's and go this direction. And believe me, you have the talent to get there. I think you need to push yourself and get there. I've had discussions like that before, too. So it's not always about where they think they can go. It's about where they they want to go and where I can help them get to, to, to increase their aspirations and their goals. So very vivid where that where the idea of being a, a leader changed in my mind from about um, what I was thinking and about me internally to an outward mindset of them, if that makes sense. That does. Do you have any other yeah. moments that you'd like to talk about that have helped you prepare your leadership style for when you you know, entered the, yeah. the show of being a wing commander and entering that stage? Um, I'll, I'll tell you one as a wing commander too. So let me give you the one, one as a, a wing commander, just to tell you that, you know, um, always take input, always be humble enough to accept input. So I'm on dais. You might've been there for this. So I'm on dais and we had a shooting event. So you have these practices about single person shooters, right? So it's one o'clock in the morning. My phone's ringing. I don't, I don't hear it. My wife answers it said, your phone's ringing. I answer it. And it's the cop saying, we have a we have a shoot a shooting incident on base, real. So I hang up the phone. I'm like, "Hey, crap, hun, got a shooting incident on base." And the first reaction my wife had was, "You need to post that on Facebook right now." And of course, my reaction was because I was thinking about myself was, uh, "But yeah, but if I do that, the media will all know about it." And then I'm going to look like an idiot because I had a shoot, shooting on base, you know, and I got to explain, I got to take my time to explain it. Me, 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 blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me and she said, you have moms and kids on this base. Post it now. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to post right now. Because she's right. You know what I mean? When you, when you stop thinking about it from your perspective. You think about their perspective. She was right. So I called the public affairs officer Woke right out of bed and said, hey, we got a single person shooting on base. I need you to notify. Put it on Facebook and every other link that we had right now. Single person shooting on base. Stay indoors. More to follow. And that was published. And yeah, did I have to answer all the stuff to the media the next day? Yes, I did. But the fact of the matter is, you know, um, I, did, I never knew enough. But I was humble enough to accept the input from somebody that had a different perspective. And she was absolutely right. The leadership yeah. philosophy you're discussing right now is one that yeah. I hear a lot of you know, enlisted senior NCOs, junior officers say they wish their leadership had. 
um, that of doing what's right for everybody, not what's right for their leader. Do yeah. you think that that of the the mythical other, I guess, uh, mentality of hey, I'm a self servant leader ever has its place? Like, what advice should you do you give to those that are in that junior level that are aspiring to be a leader at some point? Yeah. Um, so to answer your first question is no, I don't think it ever has a place. Okay. Um, let me give you the example. When I was, a, I was the aide to the PACOM commander. Okay. So I'm the aide to the PACOM commander. So this happened day one. So day one. So when the PACOM commander, the four star, this guy's in charge of half the world, half the globe. This guy owns military, militarily for U.S. purposes, right? So I'm his aide. Uh, his office is on the fifth floor. He pulls in his uh, uh, suburban, armed suburban with guards, pulls in on the third floor. I meet him. I sleep shortly. I grab his bags. We start walking up the stairs to his office, okay? On the way up the stairs, there's a piece of paper, okay? One of the jobs of the aide is to make sure everything is clean and tidy for the boss as he walks up the stairs. I'm like, oh, crap. The guy in charge of half the globe is now bending over to pick up a piece of paper I should have picked up. I'm like, I'm fired, dude. I'm done. I am absolutely done. My military career is over. I mean, I'm going to go home tonight and tell the kids, my wife, I'm a failure. Okay, so about 30 minutes go by, and I walk into the boss's office. Um, and I go, Admiral, um, I'm sorry I missed that piece of paper. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the piece of paper on the stairs as you were walking up, I, I should have ca uh, caught that. As, a, as I was going down to greet you, I should have caught that. And he was like, look, never ever put below yourself what you expected anybody else in your organization. If I can expect you to pick up that piece of paper, why shouldn't I expect it of myself? So if I see a mistake or a problem or something, if I see some trash, I'm going to pick up the trash because that's what I expect you to do. That's what I expect somebody else to do. So don't ever apologize for that. You, made it, you might have made a mistake. Great. But don't ever apologize for me having to do something like that because that's what I'm supposed to do as a leader. Um, so that's, that stayed with me for forever, to be honest with you. Uh, my execs, when I took over wing command would make fun of me because about once a month, I'd be like, let's go, let's hop in the car, we'd hop in the white, the white covered car. You know what we go do? We go pick up trash. I'd, I'd stop in the middle of the road, throw the lights on. Cause it's the only time I got to use the lights, right? Throw the lights <laughs> on. And I'd say, and I'd tell my exec, Hey, go out. Uh, see that trash right there? See the bottom of the road or the blown tire? Go get that. And I knew it drove him crazy, but it was the right thing to do because that's what I expected of everybody else, right? So I got to expect it myself. Um, a, a great lesson learned. So you went back to the, the point of selfish or selfless leadership. I think even when you're a four-star, uh, there's no point in being selfish. It's always selfless. It's always about the other people and the mission. Um, yeah. And the, would you say that the best way to communicate that, that, that you are genuine to your subordinates, I hate that word, but subordinates is yeah. just to be yourself and to just lead by example. Absolutely. Just to be yourself, be who you are. We all make mistakes. We all have, I'm not, so I'm a Mississippi public educated guy. Okay. Who happened to get into the air force academy. Um, I'm not the smartest guy in the shed. Um, know that, know that's who you are. Um, I used to love walking around Dias 
and meeting. Okay, yeah, I, I knew the 06s, got it. We talked all the time, got it. I used to love going to the places where nobody's ever gone. I used to love going to the two-striper who worked at the motor pool in trans and asking them, what do you do? You know, I did that one time and there was airman, the first, the first uh, guy in his family ever to get a GED, okay? He was a two-striper airman at, at, at Dias. And he goes, sir, I'd love, here's what I do. I'd love to show you how to drive an 18-wheeler someday. I said, okay, let's do it. And two weeks later, I was next to him, and he was teaching me how to drive an 18-wheeler on Dias Air Force Base. Because um, what he did was important, right? I mean, what he did enabled the rest of us to do what we could do. And it was important for him to know that. And as a leader, especially as the higher-up leaders, your, your responsibility is to make, the, make sure they know where they fit. Um, help them to know, to really see how important they are to the overall mission. And I wanted this kid to see that. And to be honest with you, I'd never run an 18-wheeler before in my life anyway. So I wanted to do it anyway, right? <laughs> um, and it was awesome. I will never, ever forget that. My secretary, when I said, hey, I need to schedule this 18-wheeler ride with this dude, with this airman, um, she was like, what? What are you talking about? She thought I was crazy, but I did it anyway. It was one of the most memorable moments of my command, actually. I'm sorry. Keep going. Don't, don't apologize. We're, this is great. It's just yeah. a conversation. Uh, so yeah. you, you mentioned earlier that part of your philosophy is, hey, it's not to push what I want onto others, but yeah. what, what they need or what they want and just being that person to facilitate that. As a yeah. wing commander and base commander, Stepping yeah. into that role, you, everyone always forms their mission and vision and their direction that they want to go. How did you frame yours and what was kind of your tenets that you want to take away? What was your mission and vision? Yeah, the mission and vision of a military organization is it's fairly simple for the most part. I mean, really, um, ours was deterrence um, of adversaries around the globe. Um, we were part of Global Strike Command, and that was their overall mission. Um, at the time, though, the B-1s that I just took over were changing their mission set. They were part of Air Combat Command, where their primary mission focus was to go to the desert, Iraq, Afghanistan. And they had done that for a decade, and they were phenomenal at it. But that was their primary focus for a while. So when I was there, I had to really raise up their vision of the mission from just Middle East-focused to globe-focused. Um, which had its challenges about it. You, you, you'd ask about communication. That's one of the key aspects of being any senior leader is to be able to communicate that. Um, and there's ways to do it. My way of doing it was through commander's call and then going out and seeing people. You know, I'd say every other day, I spent about half a day driving around the base. Um, and I, I would drive by a place and go, never been there, let's stop. You know, um, one time I stopped at the outside LRS, the Logistic Readiness Squadron. There was a little corner of it um, that I would didn't know what it was. I would find out it's the mail room for the base. Who would have guessed? And I walked in, and there was this old lady that worked there. And she looked at me. I had been in the base commander for over a year. She looked at me and said, who are you? And I told her, and she's like, and she goes, I don't even see my squadron commander. You know, let alone group commander. And we had, it was a great conversation with this lady. I just asked who she was. She was a grandma, grandkids, lived in Abilene for her whole life. Um, 
although I never really broached the subject of mission with her, on similar visits, I would broach the subject of mission, kind of like with the motor pool guy and say, hey, here's where you fit in. Here's what we do. When you call your mom and dad up tonight, tell them, here's what my base does. And I want you to say that. Here's what my base does. Here's what I enable, mom and dad. I don't drive the bus. I enable people to deter enemies around the globe. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Have you, no, ever, go. have yeah. you ever heard the sentiment that leaders don't give people something to do, but give them something to believe in? And how do you feel about that sentiment? Yeah. So if you don't believe in what you're doing, then it's the leader's job to not to convince you, but to, to help you understand what you're doing. You know what I mean? Um, easy to do in the military world. I think, I think in the military world, you kind of always get, if you, if you take enough steps, you will always get to defend freedom. You know what I mean? Civilian, civilian world, much more difficult to get there is what I found in the past three years. Um, but it's still doable. So right now I'm looking at a leadership position or actually it's more of a leadership teaching position with a, a franchise called Signal 88. Okay. On the outside, I'm looking to, to go into more of a coaching uh, uh, job. So when I was looking over their website, they do physical physical security for apartment buildings, um, Walmart. They have a co big contract with Walmart, so their guards around are driving around Walmart tonight. Yada yada yada. Um, but if you look at their website, it doesn't say physical physical security. It it says providing the peace of mind to allow our neighbors to chase their dreams. I'm like, wow, this guy's got it. You know what I mean? So he's the CEO of a company that has franchises around the globe. And his really his vision statement has nothing to do with security. It has to do with providing people the peace of mind to chase their dreams. I'm like, that's awesome. I could be a part of that. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Simon Sinek and uh, yeah. his speech on start with why. And yeah. that should be your mission. And then, oh, by the way, we happen to do this to fuel that forward. And I, 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 that was a monumental switch for me in perspective. And it sounds like Signal 88 has that same type of mentality. They really do. They really do. Have you ever met Simon Sinek, by the way? Have I met him? I wish. No, I have yeah. not. Oh, phenomenal guy, man. I, uh, I was lucky enough at the weapon school. So he was our guest, our guest, I don't know, outside leadership guru at the weapon school. So he would come in and, and, and give us speeches at the weapon school. I, I've heard him a couple of times, met him a couple of times. Um, by the way, I worked underneath uh, General Brown at the weapons school a couple of times. And you guys in the Air Force are in phenomenal, phenomenal hands right now. I, I, I couldn't be uh, – uh, Air Force couldn't have picked a better guy. So you're in phenomenal hands with General Brown. That's exciting. Yeah. I, I'm excited just yeah. being in PACAF and then seeing that his exposure to PACAF and bringing that to big Air Force for everybody to kind of, you know – have that mentality and that little frame shift. I think it's, I'm yeah. very excited about it. Um, Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Uh, so just going back to your tenure as commander, um, we kind of talked about your leadership philosophy and let's talk about how you implemented it. How, how did you structure your day to be the most effective and what was kind of every day, what you were choosing to spend most of your time on? Yeah. So every day, number one, I went to the gym at 5 a.m. So uh, going back to the be the example you want others to be, 
Um, as much as it hurt, I would go to the gym at 5 a.m. Because um, I didn't want to be the commander that didn't pass the PT test. And to be honest with you, my lowest score ever was a 97. So, And I made a bet with all my commanders, squadron and group commanders and superintendents. That if anybody beat me, I would, pay, I would buy lunch. And I only bought lunch once as a group or wing commander. Okay. Um, I'd go to the gym because I wanted to keep myself physically fit. I would then um, go in, briefly check emails. Um, and then I would check in with my uh, 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 command chief and the vice wing commander and see what they were doing all day. And then if uh, maybe sit and think for a little bit, read, uh, write something maybe in the mornings. I will tell you about halfway through my group command, I found a very good, um, a very good idea that I implemented through group and wing command. And that was this, at lunchtime, I always went home. Um, I always took my boots off and I always sat on the couch. Nothing else going on. I wouldn't eat a sandwich, but I would always go home by myself and give myself time to think and to relax. And I will tell you that I, I answered many, many a problems in my own mind in that 30 minutes to 45 minutes I took at home um, for lunch. So I'd recommend that. Always give yourself throughout the day some time to just sit and think, whether it's in your office or at home or whatever. It's a huge recommendation I would give to people. Your days are hectic enough. You got to take time for yourself. You got to take time to think and write stuff down. Um, and then in the afternoons, I would go out and about. Um, I rarely, I hated being in my office. I hate a stand-up desk because I hate sitting down. Um, and I would go out and about. I'd drive around. Finding somebody to, to go ask about or go out to a plane and watch him take off. You know, go watch a C-130 launch. Man, I love those. Um, and just see what everybody else was doing. And really, more than anything else, ask them, what can I do for you? You know, whether it be the lowest airman down there to the commander, what can I do for you? I'd like to, like to see, because really, once you get to that level, your, your, your job is to provide a vision, give them some frame of where to go, and then let them run. And then along the way, you remove roadblocks. Your job is to remove roadblocks. They're, they're hindering, uh, impeding them. Okay? Um, I know one time they brought up at, at, at Dias, the commanders were like, hey, all these, and I don't know if you guys still do this or not, all these... Uh, Yearly training events that I got to hop on the computer and do. That costed me hundreds and thousands of man hours. So I don't know. The C-130s didn't do it at Dice, I don't think. But at least in the, B, the B-1 side, what we did is I waived them. You know, once you were three, five years in, you didn't have to do the computer security anymore. Because it was really kind of nonsense. It, half the people, when they did it anyway, just sit there and, and tap the space bar, right? Anyway, you already knew what the answer was going to be at the end of, in the quiz anyway. So let's get rid of it. Let's move on. So go around, get feedback from your people, and then remove those uh, those obstacles is what I try to do. That helps you. That that does. Uh, I know there's a sentiment at my level and is that my day is just mostly putting out fires as they come and go, right? So there's a lot of reactionary work that happens. Did you have that yeah. same problem at your level? Or is there, you know, from below and above um, coming at you and creating taskers for you to do? And did you ever feel like you were overwhelmed by it? No, I was never overwhelmed by it. Um, 
really because as I got more mature in the leadership, I learned to delegate downward, only bring certain things up to my level, trust people enough to give them the ability to approve things themselves. So I would very purposefully, when I first got to a base, look and say, okay, yeah, that doesn't need to come to me anymore. That's your, that's your decision. Um, or yeah, this doesn't need to come to me. But when it did come to me, here's my deal to you. I'm giving you, give me three days. If you don't hear back from me from three days, you make the decision and I'll take whatever you decide. So I was very quick to get things off my plate because one of the things that bothered me when I was, when I was where you are, Brian, is I hated sending something up for a decision and not getting one for months on end. It used to drive me batty. I used to hate that. So I promised whenever I got to that level, I would never do that. So I had the three day rule when I was in there. Um, so no, it never really burdened me. Putting out fires never really I will tell you this also too, as you get older, I will tell you some fires don't need to be put out. You know, sometimes doing nothing. Um, like I'll go home sometimes and then those I would take with me home and see how they would turn up the next day. I can't give a specific example, but there were several times when I was the wing commander where I would sit there and people would ask for my decision for something. And I would go, yeah, I'm not going to decide on that right now. And the next day it would solve itself, you know, because people below would be like, you know, this is not really a problem. We can solve it by doing this and this. It would, it would kind of force people to talk and they would solve it on their own. Um, one of my biggest philosophies as a wing commander to help solve this and create, create it so I wasn't putting out fires is I always looked at my squadron commanders and told them this. You don't work for your squadrons. You work for me. And you work, more importantly, you work for this team. Okay? So if, you, if there are two squadron commanders bickering and it comes to my level to decide it, there is something wrong. Okay? You two are the team. You guys should know each other back and forth. You should know everybody, each other's birthdays, uh, husbands, wives, spouses, whatever, to the point where if you have a problem with somebody else or an issue, you go talk it out and figure it out. You should just tell me what you did, in all honesty. So I think by doing that, you create an environment where I didn't get a lot of fires, to, to be honest with you. I very rarely did something come to my level where I was kind of shocked by that I had to put out um, without knowing about it ahead of time, that it was coming up to me for decision. How about from above and outside of the yeah. base? What kind of pressures did you have from either Big Air Force or the local community? Yeah, the local community I loved at Abilene. Um, not really a lot of fires with them. Obviously, there are things that they, they need help with. But really, it was more of a help me help you type of uh, environment there. So I, I loved I really enjoyed doing that. From up above at the Air Force level, you're always going to have stuff that you needed to, to deal with. And yeah, there were fires to that extent. Um, but I, I was told my bosses, um, you know, the, you've heard the old adage, crap in equals crap out. So you got to give me the time to do it. And my bosses were really receptive when I looked at them and say, hey, um, I, I don't think you need this data. Here's what you really need. Move forth. Now, sometimes they told me to, to no, I need it. Shut up and color. And I would do it. Um, but it, it was, that was very far between from, from my re uh, recollection. There is a perception yeah. that a lot of processes are just drilling holes and keeping the machine going or that a lot of processes don't need to be done. Um, you also mentioned yeah. taking time for yourself and self-development. How much time yeah. would you say 
you should spend developing yourself and versus, and then how do you also structure to know what's important and what's not important? What kind of advice would you give to somebody like me? Yeah. So here's what I do, especially at your position. I would take it about a, at least a half hour a day to develop yourself. Okay. Mine was, uh, uh, in the morning when I found out that my emails were all done, I would look over at my, uh, whether it be a magazine like Air Force magazine or a leadership book I was reading at the time, and I would just sit down with my coffee and read for like a half hour. Um, so always to take a little time for yourself during the day, okay? Uh, um, absolutely do that. Um, what was your other question? I forgot about Oh, just talking about, so we have a lot of things that's always seem, and you mentioned, you touched on this about, hey, sometimes mm-hmm. fires put out themselves. And, yeah. you know, if you've read, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it talks about we yep. are, a lot of people are doing just doing reactionary work that doesn't really need to be done, or it's and, and we think oh it's urgent, but not but it's not important, and we need to start focusing yeah. on what's important. And so, how do you? What advice do you have to give people to to structure their lives to know what's important and how to manage their time like that? That's kind of a big question. Yeah, yeah, I would write stuff down. So what I would always do is at the beginning of the day. I would, well, actually at the end of the day, I would write down stuff that I think I need to do, do tomorrow. Okay. And then night would happen. The next day would come in and the stuff I'd written down, I'd look at my, my organizer and go, okay, after a night of reflection, what's really important here. And those are the ones I would focus on. Um, I will also tell you in today's world, um, when you have your smartphone with you, I've found that a lot of people feel they can bounce from, from, thing to thing to thing to thing and then back you know they bounce around a lot i would tell i would tell you to focus um i i I never had my phone with me in my office okay um when i was going to do something i would do that one thing and focus on it get it done and move on so i find a lot of people kind of create their own time crunch by jumping back and forth between things instead of focusing on the most important thing getting it done and then moving it on and to be honest with you, I find that with my kids nowadays, I found that having a, all this information and and phones at your touch really creates ADHD. I mean, I, I'm not a doctor, so don't take my word on that. But I found that it, it forces people to jump around a lot, and it really diminishes our ability to focus. Um, so there was one day a month, I would call it no phone day at Dias, and we would have no phone day. And I would force people to go out and actually talk face-to-face with people and get off your computer and uh, do something outside. So I'd recommend that too. Get off your phone, talk face-to-face, figure out what really is important to people, and that will help you also prioritize what's what's real and what's a perceived uh, priority. Yeah, what you mentioned about almost like a development of ADHD, I've actually noticed in my own life lately, I have a harder time focusing for longer spans of time than I did 10 years ago. It seems that yeah. I'm constantly, I start something and then I feel myself getting distracted and it, it's something I've been yeah. working on, but I think you're touching on a huge issue. Um, as far yeah. as getting people to communicate, what are your thoughts on just email versus going to see the, that person and yeah. how to most effectively communicate? What? Well, to me, there's no there's no comparison at all. I mean, you can't put uh, you can't put tone in an email. 
no matter how much you capitalize or how many explanation points you put after it, you can't put tone in the email or a text. So you got to go out and talk to them. And, you know, you, you learn so much from seeing people's eyes and seeing their expressions. There's really no substitute to it in my mind. Okay. Um, going back to you, Brian, as you do this, I recommend a book to you. Uh, it's called The Mind of the Leader. I'm writing it down. Mind of the Leader. The Mind of the Leader. Yeah. Um, Hogard. And it talks about the very first couple parts of the. It talks about how you get control, how you lead yourself first, then lead your people, then lead your organization. And the part of leading yourself talks specifically to this, how to control your mind to be able to focus and focus on the important things. So I'd, I'd recommend that book to you. Absolutely. Uh, I love reading. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great book. I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm on. I'm like chapter eight, um, but it's, a, it's a, the very first part's a great book. And I just recommended it to my son. He's an ROTC at uh, Central Florida and he's having the same issues. I'm like, Hey, you got to read this book. Cause it gives you some, some great advice on how to focus your mind where it needs to be. That's great. Uh, so you mentioned, we talked about communication and face to face that kind of leads to me to the proverbial elephant in the room about meetings what are your thoughts on meetings because a lot of people think there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of waste there but it's also getting everybody yeah. on the same page so yeah let me go back to something before before i answer this let me go back to something you mentioned sure. earlier I yeah answer and it has to do with there's a lot of stuff that the air force people do that you think is just checking the box and, and what have you my point would be this to you if you were there as a young a young uh officer or a young airman and you see that get rid of it you know don't just do stuff to do stuff going back to the example of all this computer-based training that we had it i got rid of it at dais okay i know the previous general gold theme was all about getting rid of stuff you know and i absolutely know general brown would be about getting rid of stuff Propose to get rid of it. So if you see something's going on that you're just checking a box, let me give you another, another example. You're a pilot, so you understand this. At the end of the year, the flying hour program, you've got to fly out the flying hours, right? I never let a unit that did that. I said, look, what's our mission here? Our mission is not to fly out the flying hours. Our mission is to be trained to go to war. When you have flown enough hours to do that, stop. And I will take whatever spear is given my way. Um, stop. I don't want to waste your time. Your time's valuable. You got family to take care of. Stop. Okay. So this transitions over to meeting. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of meetings ending and starting and ending on time. I'm very prompt. Um, and I'm a big believer in less is more with meetings. So I had, uh, two meetings, two Two meetings a week, maybe no more than that. It's probably like I focused them all on one day. So every, meeting day was Thursday. I used to dread Thursdays, but meeting day was Thursday, and we had like three or four meetings in a row. Um, three were mandatory, required by the commander to go to, and one was the typical staff meeting. We, you know, all the staff was there, but it was always an hour. I mean, if it went longer than an hour, then I, I always ended the staff meeting. Then I just got up and said, "Hey, dude, guys." Everybody, it's it's at an hour. You can get up and leave if you need to. Um, and then I had one more meeting on Fridays with all the, the group commanders, and it was always at the club, and it was always with a beer in the hand. Um, not that I'm a big drinker, but um, really more to 
allow us time to relax a little bit more during that meeting. So I'm not a big believer in meetings. Some are, you have to have some just to, just to communicate the information, but you only have so much time of useful consciousness in people's minds. And I think about an hour is about all you got. Um, so I stop them at that point in time. Yeah, and that's great. Uh, at that level, you know, I know you're really into coaching, mentoring as well. How did you go about doing that with your group commander, squadron commanders? Did you ever one-on-one counseling and just, you know, hey, let's go for a walk or let's go do this, let's go play golf, whatever it may be? Yeah, absolutely. How does that absolutely. work? <laughs> yeah, I knew them all by, yeah, I knew them all by name. I, you know, I would go to their house because most of them live on base, right? Um, you know what I would love to do? I would go, so you talk about as far as mentorship goes or as far as knowing them. As far as knowing them, I would go to, I'd go talk to their wives or their husbands, you know, get to know them, get to know their kids, their families. Um, and then if you had mentorship with them, I would just walk over to them and we'd have a conversation, um, whether it be in their office or not. And I always started the conversation with, Hey, what's going on with this? It was never accusatory at first. Cause I knew even as the base commander, I didn't know everything they probably knew. So it was always about, Hey, we need to have a conversation about this. Go. Listen, 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 listen. Um, discuss and then come up with it with an answer. Or if there was mentorship I wanted to give them, it was, um, hey, after, today when you did this, it was wrong and here's why. So next time, do this. Or at least change, your, change this, okay? If you were with a meeting with me and you were speaking long, I would just... I, I wasn't rude about it, but in the meetings that I that I was in, I led them. And by leading, I was like, okay, I'll scoop you up first. Manuscript, you're up next. 317, you're up next. You know, so that there wasn't a lot of pontification and they knew we were moving quick. And then I'd ask for anybody, anybody have any questions, you know, and then I would get them talk. So I tried to lead meetings too, just make it go quicker. Um, moving on. But, uh, and to be honest with you, whenever I gave people feedback at the end of the conversation, I always asked for feedback back because I knew I was doing something. Yeah, you know, I do something wrong too all the time, every day. My kids tell me every day I mess up. So I'm sure the subordinates saw the same thing. So at the, in the conversation, whenever I had feedback with somebody, I'd always ask their opinion on things too. That's a difficult thing though, because you have to have the, the confidence of what you're doing and the decisions you're making. So how do you balance Receiving that feedback and also saying, you know, I, I appreciate it, but not maybe not always taking it, right? Because sometimes you do have more of that big picture of what's happening. Yeah. So how how did that work? Yeah, yeah but then, Brian, you got to tell them, then you have to give them the big picture. So I, if they weren't right, I would say, hey, appreciate what you're saying. Here's why I didn't do that. Okay, got it. Or if they still had a different perspective on it and they didn't agree with it. And maybe we agree to disagree at that point in time, but I always tried to, I always tried my best to get them to understand my perspective and why I made the decision. And you're exactly right to your point there. As soon as you realize as a leader, it's not about you, then hit me with all the feedback you want. I don't really care. I mean, I do care. I love to get the feedback, but it doesn't really hurt me because I know I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I know I'm a good person. I know I'm a good leader. Um, you know, you asked earlier about when um, my leadership philosophy changed. And I brought this in today just for this. So my wife, I came home one day 
And on our mirrors, we had, had been having discussions with our kids about um, how you treat other people. And my wife, so rule number one is always listen to your spouse, okay? But I, I walked into the bathroom, and there was on our my kid's mirror this saying from Mother Teresa, okay? And I don't mean to get religious on you, but here's the, the saying, and I'll read it to you. And this really changed my philosophy. Here you go. Here's the quote. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it was it was between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So again, not to get religious, but the idea behind that saying is how you act is really between you and yourself or, you know, or, or God. If you, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe in God. But it, so as soon as you get that out of your mind that people are treating you badly, they're not. They're just treating you. Um, you get yourself out of the way and it, it's so relieving and it gives you so much confidence in who you are and how you act that you treat people with respect every single day, you know, because you know, you're not treating them with respect for yourself. You're treating them with respect for them. Um, it's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. That speaks volumes to me because I know I keep bringing up seven habits, but he talks about living your life yeah. principle based, which I took yeah. pretty close to heart of just figuring out who am I, who am I, what's important to me and the principles I want to live by. And as long as I'm living that way, it's given me so much more confidence in my decisions because I know if I'm doing what I want to do or what I'm supposed, what I think I'm supposed to do and my, my heart's in the right place it makes it a lot easier for me to take criticism of others because whether I agree, disagree, Hey, given the information I had at the time, that was the best thing for me. Um, and it's definitely lowered my stress level on what other people's opinions over time. And that's what it's, I don't want to say that other people's opinions aren't important, but in the end they are somewhat irrelevant in a way of your own self-worth. Um, people's feedback is important, but you can't be made of paper. You have to be able to take it and just go, well, this is how, what's important to me and keep living your life. So that quote is amazing. Yeah. That, that sat on my desk throughout all my commands. That sat on my desk, that quote. And the point you just made there is phenomenal. So that's, 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 the, that's the big step to the leader, okay? There's a difference between criticism and feedback, okay, as you take it. So when people criticize me, it, it, if I don't have faith in myself, it will hurt me, right? When people give me feedback, if the idea is that I, I'm already confident in who I am, when people give me feedback, that's to help me. And as soon as you make that leap and you understand what is actually feedback to help you and not to hurt you, you can make the differentiation. And then, like you said, I, what they, people tell me doesn't really it, – if it's good feedback, I'll take it and it affects who I am. If it's not good feedback, then it doesn't really bother me. The criticism does not bother me. You know, we all make mistakes. Yeah. That's the way it is. Did you have any moments where 
you had problems with people understanding the decision you made and that you had to disseminate that information to not convince people, but at least give them the bigger picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time in particular, I thought about, um, so I had a squadron commander when I was a group commander. Um, this squadron commander went up, flew a mission, a training mission, and got struck by lightning, okay, which in the B-2 is a big deal. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, okay? Um, she, uh, The squadron commander came down, landed, uh, asked the squadron commander about it, and they said it was an accident. Okay, got it. Um, and I said, that's all fine and dandy. I need you to go take a P-test, and I'm going to do an investigation. And it was met with, um, yeah, as you, how would you react to that, Brian? You'd be like, what? I told you it was an accident. Don't you trust me? Blah, 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 blah. This, I mean, that, that was the reaction I got. But my point, so I sat him down. I go, look, here's the deal. It's kind of like your kids. I'm doing this for you. So here's the deal. If this happened to anybody else, what would I expect you to do as a squadron commander? I'd expect you to send her to the hospital and do an investigation. So how can I treat you differently than them? And to be honest with you, I, this this will add to your credibility because I'm going to do the investigation myself into what happened here. And if it, if there's if you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to worry about. Um, so people kind of w- looked at me like I was, why are you doing this? That person's a squadron commander. They're very popular. All you got to do is take their word that it was an accident. Everybody will believe them. And I'm like, if I did that, what credibility would they have the next time they look at somebody and go, you had an accident, go to the hospital, I'm doing an investigation. You would have zero credibility. So once I explain that to them, I go, look, I'm really doing this for you because I want, I can't afford you. I don't want you to lose that credibility the next time you have to do this to somebody else. So I can't afford you. I, I can't afford you that luxury now. So sit back, relax. I'm going to be your judge and jury because I'm your boss, right? And of course, I then ended up doing the investigation myself, and it was uh, it was absolutely an accident. But because we went through the steps and did the things the right way, it gave them the, the, the credibility early later on, and there was nobody could point a finger at us. If that makes sense, it does. Uh, and I think that's why processes are important, and having not yeah. faith in your processes because they're not always perfect, but understanding like why they're there. And honoring oh. that, because like you said, it, 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 you did them a favor and almost enhanced their credibility in a way. So, but with the yeah. criticism or feedback you receive from that, do you think it's always a leader's job to make sure they know why, or is it just a nice to have thing? Like if there's time, yeah, I'll try it. But like at sometimes, shut up and call her. No, 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 absolutely tell them why. You know, if I tell you, sh- if I, as a leader, tell you to shut up and call her, I better have a, a missile bearing down on me right now. And I break right, dude, shut up and color. You know what I mean? Um, but if I'm not in combat and lives are at stake, like the single person shooter that night at, at Dias, if lives are not at stake, then, and then as a commander, you got to make the calls and you just point at people and they do it. But if that's, that's the case, you, and they want to know the why you, you need to tell them the why. Number one, for their own understanding, but number two, to develop them into being their best, right? That's the goal of being a leader. 
develop people into, be, into being their best. So if you don't give them that why, they're not going to learn from it. They're not going to get that experience that now is their story the next time they go on to do something. Let me give you an example of this one. So I'm the, the commander of the B2 Weapon School. We got a student, um, phenomenal student, all right? Um, the weapon school is classified, so we have a vault that you got to sign in and out of every time you go in and out, okay? So we have a mission. He shows up for the mission. He signs in, unlocks the vault. I show up. I'm flying the mission with him. I looked. I don't know why I looked at it that day, but I looked at the log, and he signed out 11 hours uh, before he signed in. What's the rule in the Air Force? 12 hours, right? 12 hours to be able to fly. And I'm like, crap. What do I do? Well, I do the right thing. I clear everybody out of the room. I put that student in there. And I go, dude, you failed. The no time ground hook. And here's why. And I only, so I'm not a big yeller. I only yelled three times in my life. But this guy was so good that I wanted to make it a very clear lesson to him. So one of the three times I yelled in my entire 24-year career was this time. And I'm like, you, you risked everything right now. What if something would have happened? You know, you risked your career. You risked your family's dignity. You risked your future. You could have risked a B2 if something would have happened here. You could Imagine the litany I went, I went off on. I go, you are above this. You are better than this. Don't ever let it happen again. So I no time hooked him. We flew the next day. He passed the ride. Um, but I hope I left an impression on him. And I think I did because this guy's now in 06. I'm not going to tell you where he is and what he's doing. <laughs> but he's got, he's got a very bright future. Okay. And he's, he's definitely going to be a wing commander or beyond, general officer, yada, yada, yada. Um, but what if something would have happened to him that day, right? Um, it would all been over. Um, yeah. Well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, so one of the questions I wrote down for you, uh, was talking about kind of being under a microscope. We've talked a lot about criticism and feedback already. Uh, did you yeah. feel any of the pressure? Did your family feel that pressure at all? Or was it pretty much seamless? Yeah, no, no, no. So me, because of the confidence I had myself and who I was, I felt zero pressure. You know, like I said, I make mistakes all the time. So if you find me making a mistake, I don't try to make mistakes, but I do them all the time. So if you find a mistake on me, it's not a big deal. I will tell you, it did have an effect on my kids and my wife. Um, my wife's a pretty introverted person, super nice, super sweet, love her to death. So her taking on these, these leadership roles was never she, she, she kind of didn't like it very much. Um, but I told her, do what you can. I don't really care what you do. Do what you can. And I will tell you, she did not like being in the spotlight. So it did affect her. She felt like she was always being scrutinized. She always had to have this thing. Um, she always had to dress nice. Um, she couldn't make mistakes. Our kids had to be well-behaved, yada, yada, yada. Um, which isn't the case. I could care less. But uh, she did feel the pressure. And it didn't have an impact on us. And, and, and uh, our ultimate decision to retire did have an impact on that. Yeah. Which is why I would tell people as you move in your career, um, I think there are points in times, lesson learned from me after 24 and a half years, have those discussions with your spouse and your family. 
there are impacts that that will happen to them that you will not see. You won't see them until you ask. So ask. Um, moving, we moved 14 times in 24 years, has an impact. Ask. Okay? Um, because you don't want them to be bitter at the Air Force. And my family's not. But I have a feeling if I would have continued on, there was a point in time to where it would have gotten that way. Um, we left it at the exact right time. So my point would be this. Have that discussion with your the people you love and let them know that when the time is right, all they got to do is say something. That's what I told my wife. You know, uh, so when the time was right, she looked at me and she said, I'm ready to retire. And I didn't believe her at first because, I mean, I was – I was the number one wing commander in eighth air force. I mean, I was, I was uh, general officer. Here we come. I mean, it was, so she said that to me one night and I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, so about a month later, I come back to her and I'm like, Hey, it's time for us to make a decision where we're going next. And she's like, didn't you tell, didn't you listen to me? I, I told you I was done. I, I want to retire. And that's when it kicked in. That secret word we talked about 24 years ago when we first got married in the Air Force, she was saying it. Um, and it was the best decision we've ever made in our life. So my point is, have those discussions with your, your the ones you love, and when it's time, respect it when they when they make the call. Thank you for sharing that. It's pretty, you know, it's personal, but that, that's really good advice. And that, you know, leads me into work-life balance. You know, how did you manage work-life balance and would you do it differently now if you had to do it again? No, I was told, a wise old weapons officer told me early on, um, if you can always leave work at five and never miss a football game. That was his advice. I was a young, I was a young captain or something. I'm like, what are you talking about? We've worked at five. There's a lot of stuff to do here, man. What are you talking about? As I got older, he was exactly right. You know, the work will never stop in the Air Force. It never will. You can work 24 hours a day, right? It will never stop. But you will never do it well if you work that hard. So I always tried to be the example. I always tried to leave work. Even as a wing commander, I don't think I stayed at work past 530, 6, maybe 6 o'clock. Because it was always going to be there tomorrow, unless it was, you know, unless I had to, unless there was a big decision to be made or whatever, or it was for, to help an airman out, whatever, I'd stay at later. But I always tried to leave early. I always tried to hit the gym. Um, I, I encouraged my, the people below me to do the same thing. So remember I talked about earlier about how I would ask them about their, their family, yada, yada, yada. I'd always want to know what their kids were doing, what sports they were involved in. And and I've been to golf tournaments with my subordinates to watch their kids play. I've been to soccer games with my subordinates to watch their kids play. Because it is, if it's that important to them, it's that important to me. And I will tell you by doing that, by developing that work-life balance and being in the example myself, I would leave work at one in the afternoon to watch my son play baseball. Okay? Because I can't tell you how many times I've worked the weekend, right? Or you work the weekend. The Air Force is going to, in any job, is going to get their pound of flesh out of you, is the same we like to say. Because of that, when the when the workload's down and you have the opportunity to take care of your family, do it. And uh, so I always encourage that. I always try to be the example of that. Um, 
And I think it turned out pretty well. I have a great relationship with my family. I have a great relationship with my kids, my wife, uh, my in-laws. Um, I would not have changed anything I did. That's great. And would you say that your mentality on it is stayed the same on the civilian side as far as work-life balance, or do you spend more time with home? Like, has it changed at all? Yeah, no, it's, it's try to stay the same. I will tell you, it's probably a little more difficult in the civilian world. Although I'm kind of the anomaly as an airline pilot right now, about to transition to another job. Um, just for the fact that airline pilots' jobs, one of the perks of it is just it's so flexible. Kind of, kind of, you can kind of maneuver it around your personal life, which is great. Um, but I will tell you that's the key to any job I go to. This next job I'm trying, I'm going to try out at Signal 88. I'm excited about it because it's it's at home. There's some travel to it, but their philosophy is very similar, and I think it pro- will provide me the ability to do that work-life balance the same as I did in the military. I don't know about the rest of civilian life out there. I would hope they are similar. Um, because it's important. It's, it's really important, not only to the mental health of yourself, but the mental health of your employees. Um, Got to make sure what's important to them, they take care of. And I want to talk more about your, uh, your transition to the civilian world and also yeah. the switch you're about to make. But before we move on, I did want to have a couple more questions just about uh, your time in the Air Force. So first, just as a wing commander, was what about your job surprised you the most? Man. Um, what about my job surprised me the most? How much fun it was. How much fun it was. It was awesome. Um, how rewarding it was. Uh, it, you know, you go in and you, think you're going to stress out and you think, although I didn't really have that idea, but I, I thought it would be a lot of, a lot of paperwork. I thought it would be a lot of time in the office. I thought it would be very political. And, you know, at times there were some politics to talk about, but I think as long as you focus on the right thing, the mission and the people, um, it really gives you a guiding light to decide what's right and what's wrong. And it really makes things simpler and easy, uh, easier, and it makes the job a lot more fun. I had a blast doing it. Um, the best job ever. The best job ever. Highly recommended, Brian. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I highly recommended in my pedigree, but well, that's awesome to hear, though. Yeah, uh, yeah and, it's fun. It's the funnest job. Well, and then my last question on that topic is what was your biggest challenge as a leader whether as wing commander or throughout your air force career and how did you overcome it yeah um my biggest challenge was really getting people to understand that we're all heading in one direction whether it be the vision or what have you. People grow up in their stovepiped ideas of what's the priorities, what's the importance. And the biggest challenge I had was to mix those people together to realize that it's the mixed team that makes the mission work. It's the mixed team that gets the job done. Um, this is one thing I always told the lieutenants when I would meet the, with the lieutenants on a monthly basis. We'd sit down and chat or the airmen on, 
a monthly basis. We sit down and chat. I go, look, it's important that you do your job. But what's also just as important is you know about Johnny and how he does his job in the medical field. Or Tommy, how he does his job over at the chapel. Or Sarah, about how she does her job over in finance. Because as you grow, I need you to understand how everybody works together because it's that team working together that is the biggest challenge to our mission. So as long as you understand that and you understand how we all work together and you understand where we're all going, it makes things very easy. But it's getting people to understand that it's not about them. It's about the team. And we're all heading in the same direction to beat this goal. That's the hardest job of a leader. Um, and there's no real easy way to do it except to, to go by people and shake their hands, talk with them, look them in the eye, um, and to keep preaching it. Yeah. I know I've, I've definitely had those moments where I've had a problem or something I complained about for years. And then finally I'm in a position where I learn the other side of the coin and why it's that way. And I go, Oh, I wish I would have known that years ago because I now understand why it's that way or what that person's doing and why they need that information. So I definitely agree that the impact of having that and understanding and that education piece is so important, but it is a really hard thing to teach when everyone's so focused on propelling, not their career, but, you know, learning their job and learning the problems of their job. And it's hard to not see across the fence and see the other problems that other people are having. Absolutely. So this was this was taught to me by a, a wing commander who's now, uh, well, I'll tell you who he is, General Van Herc. He's now the Northcom commander. So he was my wing commander. Um, and he told me he was going to expand my horizons later on. That wasn't him that gave me this job, but he asked the person who gave me this job to do it. And I was the uh, squadron commander for the weapons school. Ops, 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 all I've done my entire life. And they gave me the dot, the job as the deputy mission support group commander. So you as a pilot, what do you think my reaction was? This sucks. I gotta wear sucks. I gotta wear ABUs. I don't know anything about what are you talking about? Cops? What? Logistics? What? Comptroller squadron? What are you talking about? Let me tell you, Brian, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had because it taught me exactly what you're talking about. It opened my eyes to the why. Why is an operator? I did this. Why did I? Why did they? Why did they do this when they, when they refuel my aircraft? Okay. Why did the cops do this when they were protecting my aircraft? It opened me up to the bigger picture and the why. And I love when I was done. So I was there for six months. I loved, loved, loved that job because it taught me the why, and it really showed me that the amount of effort everybody else does to produce what I have the honor of being, which is the end of the spear, the combat pilot. And a lot of people give their their blood, sweat, and tears for that. And it gave me such a huge um, pride in what the rest of the people do um, that I am forever grateful for that experience, forever grateful. That's great. I mean, that is interesting, though, because some of the opportunities I've had that I've been dragged kicking and screaming and then it turns out to be the best thing because it's so eye-opening and it actually is the most I've ever developed in my career is through the opportunities I didn't think I wanted. So that's interesting to hear you say that. And I can't say much. I'm Absolutely. still pretty 
pretty early in my career. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not anyone you should take advice that, from, brother. but yeah, it's moving, <laughs> moving faster than I thought. But yeah, everybody, um, everybody's good enough to take advice from. Everybody has advice. That's a good way to look at it. Huh. Yep. So now, um, I want one more, couple more Air Force questions, but the, and we'll move on. But <laughs> so now that you're out, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the Air Force? That's a really big question, but yeah. I, well, this may have changed with COVID, but I would say um, so I must answer irregardless of COVID. Okay. Okay. Um, take that out of the equation. I think it is retaining good leaders, and by good leaders, I think good senior leaders. I think the Air Force. And DOD military model is based upon 1950s vision um, where people would get up and move and not really care. Um, you know, we just got done with many wars. Um, people were having kids earlier. So by the time you were a senior leader, your kids are typically out of the house, you know, so you didn't have to deal with it. So the moving and the, the responsibility you took on as a senior leader was not didn't take away from your home life as much. I think that's not the case anymore. Um, there are some definite challenges now as people get married older, people have kids older, um, to to balancing your home and your work balance. And I think we've got to get better at that as a service. When I left, I was I, this is whether it be a senior enlisted leader or an officer, it doesn't matter. We both are basically on the same timelines. Um, we've got to get better at recognizing that and giving people the opportunity to take care of their personal and professional lives together as one. Um, and I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think Gold, General Goldfein was moving in that direction. I think when he got rid of the requirement to be able to make four stars to make one star, to where you can be an on-timer and still make one star, I think that's huge. And I think we need to keep that going because there are great leaders out there that we're losing because of the fact that we don't want to want them to make a wing command a wing commander because they weren't below the zone, which is totally ludicrous. Um, and we're losing good leaders because of it. I think we've got to get better at that as a service. Same thing on the listening side, you know. I, so Brian, I was one below, dude. I was one below. So I'll tell you, my, my thing to you is this: I was a number one ranked guy on my. Uh, major to lieutenant colonel board, number one ranked guy on my squadron. Okay, the number two ranked guy got it. This is for two below. The number two ranked guy got it. Okay, I was mad, mad at the world. Okay, but I will tell you, hindsight being twenty twenty, it worked out great. So my my advice to you is, things work out for a reason. Okay, things work out for a reason. Um, you have a purpose in life. You'll get there one way or another. Um, but I think as a service, we need to get better at taking care of the senior leaders. Do you have any specific recommendations if, of how they, they should do that? Yeah, I think we need to uh, get rid of the 206 positions. The Army doesn't require 206 positions to make general officer. I think you could either do one or the other. Um, I think that would allow people that make 06 to then 
take a position at the Pentagon for a couple, three, four years to keep their family stable if they need to for certain reasons, um, as opposed to jumping from one 06 position to another 06 position, 06 position at a different base uh, to, to continue on the command track, if that makes sense. Uh, so I think we, we can do better. And that's, my, that's my example. I think you need to probably el- eliminate one of those like the Army does. Um, and the Navy does the same thing, too. No, that's uh, an- to allow the flexibility. That, that's insightful because I didn't really realize that uh, with the difference between services. So that's good. That's a good yeah. recommendation. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so kind of sh- switching gears here. Uh, so after 24 years of service, you know, you and your family decided it's best to not pursue uh, the military career anymore and to transition out of the military. How was that transition for you? Did you have any identity problems or any issues moving from the guy, the boss in the seat to now? David. Yeah. Oh man. Absolutely. Yes. So, uh, I got out and I was really just more anxious. So your, your life had been kind of, for the most part for 24 and a half years, it'd be kind of planned for you. You kind of knew what was happening next, or at least, you know, to some extent you at least have a job, you would get paid right to go into where, yeah, I didn't have a job. Uh, got a kid going off to college. So I need to get some money somehow. Um, and this whole resume LinkedIn thing. Yeah. Don't really know a lot about that. So there was a little bit of anxiety. Um, coming out. Uh, I told my wife she could live wherever she wanted to. She picked Noonan, Georgia. So I applied for jobs in Noonan, Georgia, one with Home Depot, one with Chick-fil-A and then Delta Airlines. And I basically took the first people to call me, which was Delta Airlines. I took, I took Delta, um, which is a great job. I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Um, and that comes to the idea that you were asking about, which is your identity. You know, I've been a servant leader for so long in the Air Force, serving a bigger purpose in life, that when it came to just moving passengers around the globe, and your interaction as a pilot with them is so limited, there was something left wanting there. Um, so I struggled for a while with that. I struggled for a while with, you get this great job, it allows you to be home more. What is wrong, man? What is going on? Um, and I, I, I thought about it for a while. I thought about going to get a PhD in something. Um, I thought about changing careers. Um, and then it hit me one day. I was talking to another, another pilot, actually. And he said, hey, if you want something bigger than yourself, I, I volunteer at this place downtown called Bridging the Gap. And I'm like, okay, I'll go, I'll go try it. So I went with our church to Bridging the Gap. And that was a life-changing experience. It gave me my purpose back. You know, flying to the airlines is good. It's a good job. But it's not my purpose. My purpose is to help people. My purpose is to help people to be their best. That's what I think I've been, I'm, I'm on this earth for. And going to Bridging the Gap and, and volunteering with them um, brought that back. It brought that back. I've done it for a couple of years now. I love having discussions with people that are homeless, with people that are down their luck and need food. I, I, I talked to a lady the other day that was uh, – she had she has eight kids. Um, and she has to go there to get food for her eight kids, right? Um, she has no winter clothing for her kids. We give her coats. 
I talked to a guy the other day that has, he has no arm. Uh, he has one arm and uh, he's homeless. That's all he has. And he's not sad about it. He's actually happy about it, that he has a life and he's still living. You know, he, he got run over by a train. That's how he lost his arm. And he's so happy about living that it's kind of contagious. Um, and just talking with him about how his life is and what we can do to help him. And he's like, look, oh, I need some food. I need somebody to call me by my first name. Sit down and have a discussion with me to treat me like a human being. That's all I care about in life. You know, and to give somebody that by just having a discussion with them, just sitting down and chatting with them about the weather. Or We had a big rainstorm coming in. He lives in a homeless park. And he's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to this because there's a lot of people that haven't been through a storm before. I've, taught, I've helped them with their tents. Um, and we're setting up for this big storm coming. Um, it was just great to have that conversation with him. And being a part of people's lives and making them better has really uh, brought me back to where I think I was in the Air Force, where I'm not really wanting anymore. Um, so I'm excited. Um, I mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm moving careers a little bit here, you know, due to COVID and the, the downturn of the airlines a little bit. It's given me the opportunity to try out something new. So I'm excited about that, too. And I'm going to hop over to what's called Signal 88. And I'm going to be a, a leadership uh, a travel coach for them. Or I'm going to go out to the franchisers and owners and managers of their organizations uh, and teach them how to lead, teach them some best practices of, uh, you know, of, of how to do their job, help them to be their best. Uh, and I'm excited about that too, because I think that's where I belong in life. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with that in the airlines, but I'm excited where that's going. That's great. Do you feel like you just, I mean, I think it's obvious, but you just have a desire for, selfless service and to give always give back and then you know is there other yeah. you know what what do you want your life to look like in five ten years yeah yeah brian that's a great question man so when i told my family that about this possible job transition um to a t every single one of them my kids my wife my mom and my dad and my yeah to a t said that is you to it i mean I mean, it was like, I was like, did you talk to the other person? Because they, they said the same thing. Um, that is you. So, yes, I believe that is 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 me and where I'm going. So I'm really really excited about it. Uh, I'm sorry, I got excited about my family. What was your other question? Oh, I just you, you know, what's your kind of your plan? Do you now that you're a civilian, do you oh, write yeah. out like, hey, where do I want to be in five years, ten years, or is it just wherever life takes you? And you know, you yeah, I, I think it's wherever life takes me right now. In, in all honesty, you know, I, I tried to plan it out when I first got out as a civilian. And this might be my advice to people. When I first got out, I tried to plan it. And I miserably failed because this turned out differently than I thought. Um, so my point to people would be when you get out, um, number one, take your time. I, I kind of picked the first one that came to me and said, yes, take your time getting out. Okay. Uh, there is time. You'll feel some. You'll feel the pressure of not having money, um, needing a job. You'll feel that pressure. I would say take the extra month or two, okay, to take your time and pick a job uh, moving forward, okay. And then number two is there's not going to be a perfect job for you when you get out. So be prepared to move if you need to, okay. Um, be prepared to move when you need to. And your plan is never going to is never going to be the right plan. It's always going to change. So enjoy where you are, do the best where you are. And then if it's not right for you, I'm a believer that another path will open up for you. 
And, uh, you know, it may take your wife to kick you and say, hey, this other door opened, dude, take it. It may take your wife kicking you to tell you that, but uh, it'll open up and, and take you that direction. Um, so, yeah. But I hope, I hope that explains it for no, you. No, it does. That's great advice. Uh, what other, what would you say to somebody that may be on the fence of making a career out of the military or transitioning out at their end of their commitment? Yeah, we each have our own personal, uh, uh, own personal ideas of what, uh, or own personal story going on, right? So I hate to give advice one way or the other, sure. but I will tell you, I do, I don't regret at all making the military a career. I loved every, every, every second of it. And I do miss it. I absolutely do miss it. I don't regret that I got out, but I do miss it. So if you are okay with that in the lifestyle, um, I would always lean toward the military. It's in a world of chaos on the outside world, in a world of chaos, the military is reliable. It's, you know what to expect. Um, it's very family focused, family oriented. It's very service focused. And you have a bigger picture to live for when you're in the military. So if you, if all things being equal, I would always recommend a military lifestyle. But I also know that people have different stories and may have different, uh, different things pulled out of the military that are just as, just as valid reasons to get out. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. You said everybody's different. I understand. Yeah, and it's it's tough to give a one size fits all on that question. But I'm just curious with your experience yeah. and hindsight. Uh, yeah. What you'd say. Okay. Um, I just had a couple of random questions. If you're open, sure, go. Uh, we already yeah. you, you already mentioned the mind of the leader. What other? What's your favorite book though? What other one would you like to plug? If you had another. Um, man. So my favorite classic is uh, Lincoln on Leadership. I think that's a great, it's a short book. But it's a great book about leadership. Uh, and then I'm a big fan of the Arbinger Institute books. There's two out there that I, I, I'm a big fan of. Uh, Leadership and self-deception and the outward mindset. It's quite a title. In the, the mind of, what's that? I was just saying it's quite a title. Yeah, leadership and self-deception is one, and then the outward mindset is the other. They kind of com- complement each other. They're all about how a leader, if you perceive stuff from your own perspective, you're going to deceive yourself. So you've got to get out of that mindset of always perceiving things from your own perspective and instead perceiving things from other people's perspective. The outward mindset. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you about yeah, is the outward mindset. I was I just couldn't remember what it was called. Okay, I'm just writing it down. So, and those are two books from the Arbinger Institute that I, I absolutely love. Of course, I love uh, you know uh, why know your why by Simon Sinek. Uh, that guy's a phenomenal. I could listen to him speak for hours on end. Yeah, he's great. Uh, <laughs> he is great. He is really great. Um, but those are the ones I kind of typically uh, I typically uh, read. Yeah, I definitely I'm really interested in both of those from the Arbery. Um, Especially, you mentioned that about the trying to see things outside of your normal paradigm, and it's something I've yeah. kind of noticed myself lately. Like, I think I'm educated, and I think I'm open-minded, and then I find myself flocking to my own confirmation bias a lot. Or, and I'm like, maybe I don't see the world the way others see it as much as I think I do. You know, it's kind of like almost this fallacy that I think I have it, and that I'm I'm not. You know, so I'd like to actually learn about how to kind of see things yeah, in the way. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Yeah. In the book, they, they it tells a story about a guy that's a supervisor and one of his, uh, um, subordinates reacts to him in a bad way and, and how his perception of, Oh, he reacted to me, to me that way. He must really hate me because he hates me. I'm going to hate him back. 
you know, and how that mentality kind of per- perpetuates itself. Even though that person may have just been having a bad day or you cut them at the wrong time or what have you. Or if you have a different mindset, if you have the outward mindset of, hey, hey, you just reacted poorly to me. Are you okay? What can I do to help you? It's a totally different conversation and relation, more importantly, really different relationship um, that is uh, uh, definitely more inducive to the leader, subordinate friend type of uh, idea that you need to succeed in life. That's great. This has been really inspiring. So I, it makes me want to go and do more outreach and you know, <laughs> like know thy neighbor. You know what I mean? I've been feel like with COVID, yeah. I've been kind of, I'm a, I'm an extrovert. So I love like talking to people and I'm like, need to scratch that itch. So that's, it's been really motivating to hear uh, your philosophy awesome. on things. Um, uh, so a couple more questions. Sure. What other habits one, did you maintain through your military career? And then are you strive to maintain now? Or do you meditate? What's your thoughts on exercise? Just whole gamut. Yeah, whenever I have a big decision to make, I go for a run. Uh, kind of like my idea earlier of, hey, take lunch at your house. I still do that. I still, at lunchtime, I still turn everything off and uh, uh, sit in my, put my phone away and sit in my bed for 30 minutes or on the couch for 30 minutes and just, you know, ponder life. Um, I work out every day, incredibly important. And um, I talk more to my kids now, now that I'm out, to be honest with you. So I really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, of course, they're older now. So they, they actually believe that I know what I'm talking about now. Uh, some of them do. Half don't, half do. So uh, the I'm trying to convince two that I still, that I'm okay. Um, the other two are, I think you're starting to believe that I'm okay. And we have some pretty good conversations. So it's really good. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's really cool. Um, okay. Well, hey, those are the questions I have. I'd like to offer, you know, what anything that you want to bring to the table outside of all the wisdom yeah. you've already shared with with me here. Yeah. No, just a just a couple of closing comments for you if you're okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah. So my perception is this when you're in the military you see leadership around you all the time. You build it, it's there, it's present. I don't see that in the civilian world. So my, my point is this, if you're making the transition, uh, the world needs leaders. The world needs leaders, bottom line. They don't teach it out here. They don't uh, embrace it out here. It's all about the bottom line. Um, it's all about how much money I make. So my point is this, we need selfless leaders out here. And we need people to understand that in today's society where you value the person with the Porsche and the person with the big house, you've got to get out of that mentality as a world, as the United States specifically. Um, and I'm trying to teach my kids this. Success is not about that. Okay. Success, can you get those things and still be successful? Absolutely. Success is about the people you touch and about the people you build, that success. So whether you're a janitor at school or you are the CEO of a company, either way, they can both be successful, okay? And we need leaders out here with that perspective. Um, Number two, leadership is never about you. It's always about them. And the only way to be successful in leading them is to know them, okay? Um, So know your people, you know? My first 
whenever my first sit down with everybody is an hour. When I was in the Air Force, it was always an hour. And they walk in expecting to talk about, okay, what do you want me to do, boss? What are your, you know, what are your three objectives for me? Yada, yada. And the, what's the first question I told, I asked Brian? Hey, Family who are life. you? Yeah. Family life. Hey, what's your spouse do? Oh, that's cool. When are you guys married? I always wrote down the anniversary. Hey, what are, you, what are your birthdays? Cool. What do your kids do? What do you love to do when you're not at school? And we would sit and chat for like 50 minutes, you know, about this stuff. Not once they bring up work because you always had time to do work. But if I didn't know you as a person first, I was going to fail leading you. Um, and to that extent, you really need to you care about them. What is their priority is your priority. So when I asked about their anniversaries and their birthdays, uh, they always got a handwritten note on their birthdays and always got a handwritten note on their anniversaries. Wishing them the best. Okay, um, because those are important things to people. So know them, lead them. Okay, and the last one you hit on earlier, this is the most important thing in, in my mind. In this, is believe in yourself, because when you believe enough in yourself, you don't care about what happens to you. Okay, you're not embarrassed to be the example and go pick up the trash, right? Um, you're not embarrassed to tell the truth. You're not embarrassed to admit that you're wrong because you believe enough in yourself to go, hey, I'm a good person. I'm doing the right thing here. Am I going to make mistakes? Yes, but I'm not going to do it on purpose. Okay? As soon as you get rid of that, you will be a better leader. As soon as you get rid of the fact that it's embarrassing to walk into a jail to see one of your subordinates inside there, as soon as you figure out it has nothing to do with you when you walk in that jail, it's all about helping them to be better and to get them in a better position then you've made the leap to be a better leader. And as soon as you know that telling people bad news because it helps them out, like the Facebook, when my wife said, post it on Facebook now, there's a shooter on base. As soon as you realize that's not worrying about what that means to you, you become a better leader. So my point is, do the right thing, set the example, and believe in yourself and who you are. And uh, there's no limit to the good you can do. All right. Those are powerful words. I bore you enough? No, that's great. <laughs> I think it's a great way to end it. Thank you so much for your time. I really hope, I want you to know that this has been a very powerful interview for me and I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, do you have anything, Thanks. any questions for me? Anything before we wrap no. up? All right. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity. Um, it's been great chatting with you. Good luck in uh, both your careers, doing podcasts as well, uh, as well as the Air Force career. Okay? <laughs> thank you. And uh uh, by the way, you made me King Kong with my kids. My kids are like, you're doing a podcast? You're awesome. So thanks for giving me that credibility. Oh, man. You can send me the address so they can listen to this. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah, I will definitely uh, – I'll post it for you, and I will make sure you uh, you get to listen to it first. So thank you. Thanks. And thanks for doing this and helping people uh, be better. I appreciate it, man.